two-part series on love God, love people. Last week we took a part of scripture where Jesus gave us the greatest commandment, which was love God, uh, love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, just for everything you are. And then he said, I have a new commandment to give you. Uh, love each other as I've loved you. And what we said last week was that Jesus, when he shows his love to us, it cost him something. It was, his, his life was highly valuable. Uh, but he gave something valuable to show his love to us. And last Sunday, I gave you the, the assignment, the challenge. Uh, we prayed. We said, Lord, I surrender my heart to you. Let me love people this week in a way that they feel valued, where they feel heard, where they feel seen. And it was going to cost you something. It was going to you have to give up your time or some type of resource or, or whatever. I know Brother Bryce. Uh, I've got to hunt with Brother Bryce this week, and he shared with me the story. Brother Bryce, would you give your testimony just real quick, 30 seconds, about what you did this week? And then I'm going to ask the rest of you if, if you had done it. But I know Brother Bryce's story. You know what, Bryce? Hold on a second, bud. Vic, you athlete. Make sure you go back there and hurry up. It'll go uh, Mike, Brother Bryce, so they can hear him online. Thank you, Bryce. Uh, this past week, I believe it was last Wednesday, my neighbor has one of the most beautiful trees in the world every fall. Every single leaf on it changes a brilliant yellow all at once for three days. And then for the next two weeks, those leaves start falling every day to cover his yard. And the older gentleman, he's in his mid-80s, health issues, his wife has health issues, and I could see them from my house, and he's out there fighting this tree every day, trying to get these leaves picked up. And it was just on my heart, look, you need to help. So I went out the next, that Wednesday morning, I grabbed my leaf blower and my riding lawnmower and I went out and I blew off his driveway, I blew off his uh, front porch, blew everything out from around the trees, got the mower out, picked it up, then blew off all the little debris again um, just to help him out. And it wasn't much, it took me a little over an hour, but and it, it wasn't much, it didn't cost me anything, but, your time. but for one day, he didn't have to fight that tree. Right on. And He's a good guy. Uh, his family's become very precious to me and mine. And it was just a, it was on my heart, and there was no way I could not do it. Very good, Bryce. So, one hour, I helped an older gentleman pick up leaves. Right on. And I don't know that he knows, or I know he saw me, but yeah, that's it. And that's the valuable part of loving like Jesus, is that you actually, you go out of, your comfort zone, you give of yourself, you give of your time. And Bryce said, and brag, and I just asked him to share that. I asked him to share that story because that's what we're looking for. Would anybody, did anybody else accept the challenge this week and show somebody you love them by, by giving something valuable? It doesn't have to be money. It just You gave of yourself. Anybody else? Vicki over there. Thank you. Is that mic on? It's really not about me. It's about my husband. We have two neighbors who, uh, one is a widow, and another man is 90-some years old and blind and can't hear. And um, my husband's always helping them do something outside. But the widow lady had paid to have 
two times to have someone come and fix a concrete problem that was causing water to go down in her basement. And she paid dearly for it, and they did her wrong. They didn't fix it right, and they wouldn't make it right. My husband went up there, busted the concrete out, poured new concrete, fixed it, and didn't charge her a dime. Amen. And the whole time he was doing that, I was sitting there visiting with her, and she told me, she said, you know, um, what Cooner's done for me, I can never repay you, but the time that you spend up here with us, sometimes we go sit up there 20 minutes, sometimes we go up there for two hours and visit with her. And she said, that is precious that you'll never know what it means to me. But right on. I just want to, my husband did that for her. And precious I Cooner. Amen. Thank you, Cooner. You're a good man. Right on. Love you guys. Those are the types of things that we are looking at. Anybody? One more. One more. All right, that's fine. Um, so that was the challenge last week. And that was, per, those are perfect examples of that new commandment. Love others the way I've loved you. Giving is a valuable thing. And we're picking up the series again today. But we're really going to look at the example. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into the love that Jesus showed. Uh, John 13, verse 34 through 36. Jesus already said, a new commandment I give you. Uh, to love one another is I've loved you. By this, everybody's going to know who you love. Everybody's going to know who your Savior is. By this, you'll know. Everybody will know who your Messiah is, who's the Lord of your life. Everyone will know. Everyone will know that you're mine, that you're my disciples if you love one another. You know, Jesus' command and the example he sets for, for us to love one another is incredible. There are two specific words that come to mind when I think of the love that Jesus shows, specifically in the two examples I'm going to show you today. Jesus' love, he says, love others the way I've loved you. His love is two things. Number one, it's intentional. And other, uh, number two, it is impartial. It's intentional and it's impartial. Uh, impartial. Jesus loved people, man. It didn't matter who they were. And we're going to look at a couple of accounts in the Scripture today that, that really features front and center the intentionality and the, uh, the impartiality of, of the love of Jesus. Uh, I do know this. Man, it's easy to love people who I like. It's easy to love people who feel the way I do, believe the way I do, have the same opinions and we you know like the same music and we just get along like peas and carrots now somebody else that doesn't have my views or my opinion or you know they don't like classic rock I mean or maybe they're difficult to get along with not everybody's easy to love some are some aren't so we hang out with the people who are easy to love let's be honest life is hard enough the way it is why do we want to bring difficult relationships into the mix the problem for us that as we follow Christ and we set that and we f try to follow that righteous example of, of love that Jesus showed, he really commands us to love people that are difficult to love, that are not exactly like us, that aren't on the same path that we are, that don't hold the same values or morals or principles or even have the same Savior that we do. Uh, it's, it's hard to love these people, but yet that's exactly what Jesus did. And the problem for us as we follow Jesus is that um, whether we like it or not, Jesus wants us to be in intentional and impartial with the love that we show and we know this because man that's what he did that's the example he said that's what uh, he showed us and one of the greatest example of that is in the gospel book of john so if you have your bible or you need to turn your bible on uh, john chapter four i don't think these verses are going to be up on the screen because i just kind of wrote them down this morning uh, because i really uh, i didn't do a very good job on it last night but i'm going to do a better job on it today so if you have your bible john chapter four verse one through seven one I want to kind of go through this a little bit. The Bible says in John chapter 4, verse, verse 1 through 7, When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist, although Jesus himself was not baptizing anybody, but his disciples were, the Bible says. 
He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. That was the northern part of Israel. That's where the Galilee is, up on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, so he came to the city of Samaria called Sychar. Y'all say Sychar. Say East St. Louis. Okay, you know the feeling you have about going through East St. Louis? That's the feeling that Jews would have had going through Sychar. It was near the parcel of ground uh, that back in the day Father Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It was about noon, all right, because uh, there's six hours is in the middle of the day. Uh, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, honey, give me a drink. Now, before we go a whole lot further, that whole East St. Louis thing did it for me. Uh, you know the feeling that you get. Uh, that's how the Jews would have viewed going to Sychar. It was noon, it was the middle of the day, it was hot. She was a woman, and not only was she a woman, but what was her ethnicity? What kind of woman was she? She was a Samaritan woman. Let me give you a little bit of the background on that. Uh, back in the day, Israel was divided into two different kingdoms, if you will. Think of Virginia, West Virginia. Uh, the northern kingdom consisted of 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. In 722 B.C., there was a great group of people called the Assyrian. I say great group in the sense that they were, it was a war machine. They came into the northern part of Israel in 722 and took these people captive, took them people, uh, took this Jews hostage, brought them and just kind of put their law down on them. Now, what happened was uh, the Jews up in the northern part of the kingdom, they began to cohabitate and began to have kids with the Assyrians. And what really happened was that that Jewish bloodline, uh, when it was uh, corrupted or whatever by the Sumerian bloodline, uh, by the Assyrian bloodline, uh, the Jews down south, they kind of considered those people uh, half-breeds, deplorables, uh, less than human. Uh, They're not true, genuine Jews. Uh, That was in 722 B.C. In 578 B.C., the Babylonians came in through the southern kingdom with those other tribes, and that would have been Jerusalem and places like that, the Negev. But what they didn't do in 758, um, what they didn't do is they didn't have kids with the Babylonians. The Jews in the south stayed pure. They didn't hook up with the Babylonians, so their blood remained pure. They weren't defiled by, 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 by Babylonians or whatever. And so the people in the south... They kind of looked to the northern kingdom as the way we would look at East St. Louis. It's dangerous. The people are different there. They buy different rules. Don't go there unless you absolutely have to. Um, That would have been the view. Let's look at verse 9. For the Sumerian woman, for the Samaritan woman, therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a woman and a Samaritan, For a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, I just told you why they didn't. Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, and and where do you get... And, and where do you get this living water? Where's this water you're talking about? Uh, you're not greater than our father Jacob. She starts going back into the history now. Uh, are you? Uh, who gave us water from this well and drank it himself and his sons and, 
and his cattle. Going to verse 13. Jesus says, whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that, that I can give, well, you'll never thirst again. But the water that I shall give you shall become in him a well of water springing up into eternal life. Jesus is saying, ma'am, I can give you what you really need. I can really give you that's going to change your life, that's going to change your heart. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. I want it right now so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, go call your husband. And come here. The woman answered and said, Sir, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You've said, Well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the man you're living with right now is not your old man. This you have said right. This is a woman. A lower class citizen, if you will, in the first century. This was a Samaritan. So she was ethnically deplorable by the Jews. But the third thing is, apparently she liked the nightlife and she liked to boogie. She had been with five husbands, and the man she shacked up with now is not her husband. So we know that she got around a little bit. That's why the women wouldn't be with her in the morning to draw the water, because she was skanky. And they didn't want to associate with her. So she came out all the afternoon all by herself. You know what? That may not be you, but you know people like that. Amen? People people don't hang out with. Cast her to the side. Sarah is deplorable. But here's the thing, no matter how much she loved the nightlife, and no matter how much she liked to boogie, and no matter how many husbands she had, she still needed a Savior because she had a sin problem. Church, it doesn't matter where you've been, who you've been with, what you're coming out of, you have a sin problem just like I do, and our greatest need is a Savior. And that's what Jesus saw when He saw this woman at the well. We're going to go on, let's look at verse 25 through 27. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When the one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. If you're ever looking for a verse where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the Savior of the world, no man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, ma'am, if you're looking for a Savior, here I am. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he had been speaking with that Samaritan woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? I love that verse. None of those disciples asked, why would you reach out to a person like her? None of the disciples said, why would you put the welcome out, uh, welcome out, out for that woman? Why would you go out of your way to make her feel welcome? Why would you go out of your way to tell her the love of God? Because His love was impartial. He didn't look at her background, what her sin was. Did he know her sin? Absolutely. He pointed it out, but he didn't rub her nose in it. He didn't make her feel less than a citizen. Didn't make her feel less than a person. In fact, when you look at this dialogue between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, it was his peers. It was his friends. It was people who got along. It was people who had a, a, a commonality of being a human. And when Jesus saw her, he saw what she needed and he intentionally spoke to her. Church, it's easy to love people who are like us, but it's a whole lot easier to love people who are different than us. She was an outcast. She was a Samaritan. And as a woman, it would have been inappropriate for Jesus to engage in her alone, but he did because he loved her. Church, Jesus shows us time and time again throughout the Gospels, that Jesus is more than willing to cross whatever line he needs to cross in order to get to one sinner. Sex, gender, uh, sex, uh, sexual gender, uh, religion, 
societal norms, ethnicity. He took all those aside. He said, you know what? I'm not going to look at that because those things end when you end this life. When you go on, your soul goes on. That stuff stays. The greatest need that woman had was of a Savior. Church, he shows us time and time again. That's what he does. Um, Mark 2, verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, I didn't come here. I'm not, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call what? Raise your hand if you're a sinner. Thank God he came for us. Broken, faulty, sinful people. And Jesus makes it clear that both in his word and his deed, that Jesus is in pursuit of the sinner. He is in pursuit of the outcast, the sick, the lame, the blind, the deaf, the mute, the hungry. Anyone else who needs a Savior, Jesus says, if you're looking for redemption, if you're looking for the King of Kings, if you're looking for forgiveness, here I am. And here's the thing, he's impartial in the sense that if you need a Savior, it doesn't matter where you are or where you've been, Jesus is ready for you. He's ready to accept you as you are. Here's the thing, man, you don't have to be good enough to get saved. In fact, if you're waiting to be good enough to get saved, you're not gonna, it's not going to happen. I was reading an article this week about Harvard. For every 100 people that apply to Harvard, only five get accepted. And the people who apply there, I mean, they've got 4.0s and all that jazz. In fact, the president of, the, of Harvard in Cambridge, Massachusetts said this. He said, we could fill all of our classes twice over with valedictorians. You don't apply to Harvard unless, you know, you're Harvard material. Uh, and when you apply to Harvard, it's... Your acceptance is based upon how good you are, how smart you are. You know, you got a 4.0. You were, you were in the AV club. You were in the chess club. You, you did all these things for your community. I mean, really, you have to earn your spot at Harvard because you really, really have to be good enough. Um, question, how many of you guys in this room think that we would be accepted to Harvard? We've got doctors and lawyers in this room, and, and none of them are raising their hands either. We know that we couldn't make it. We couldn't make the cut. The, with the standards too high. Here's my question. Is it easier to get into Harvard or to heaven? Which one's easier? To get into Harvard or heaven? Now, the straightforward answer is found in the passages from Paul's epistle to the Romans, which says, everyone has sinned and falls short of the glorious standard of God. None of us are going to be able to make the admission requirements for, he uh, for heaven. I want to say that again because that gets it for me. None of us meets the admission requirements for heaven because all of us have done what? Nobody goes to heaven unless the sin is gone. The sin has been forgiven. So if none of us can meet the admission requirements for heaven, then how in the world do we get there? God has a benchmark and we all fall short of it. There's a 0% acceptance rate based on your merit. I think it's safe to say that no one meets the standard of sinless perfection required to get to heaven. Now you might be saying, <laughs> hold on a second, Brother Mike. I know what you just said, but I'm not that bad of a guy. I know lots of people who are worse than I am. Or Brother Mike, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty good lady. I, I can tell you half a dozen ladies who are worse than I. You're right. But here's the thing. Just because you're not as bad as you could be, it doesn't mean that you're not as good as you should be. And the thing is, man, one mess up, we can't get in. One sin. Admission is closed off because the standard is God's glorious standard. And the Bible says if you sin one time, I'm sorry, you're no longer accepted. You can't make the cut. 
church. Just by a show of hands, how many of y'all don't make the cut to get to heaven? Because you're a sinner. Amen. Thank you. Me too. So man, what do we do? How do we get there? The Apostle Paul summed things up when he wrote, God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God, Ephesians 2.8. Church, not a single soul makes it to heaven can take credit for making the cut because you don't have anything on your resume or your GPA or your extracurricular activities or your church attendance record or your baptismal record. None of that gets you accepted. So what's harder? Getting to heaven or Harvard? All depends on how one applies. If you hope to get to heaven based on who you are, who you know, or based on your personal merit, or because you've been good, or because you've been righteous, if you're hoping to get into heaven because you're better than other people, if you're hoping to get into heaven because you're better than the, the, the neighbor down the road, you will miss heaven because the rate of acceptance in heaven for being good is zero. If, however, you've placed your hope in Jesus as your personal Savior, then Harvard is much harder to get into than heaven. The Bible says, and I love this verse, everyone, everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. The derelict, the dummy, the addict, the outcast, the homosexual, the adulterer, the infidel, the, the, whatever church the Bible says that whoever, call, future preacher, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All that baby's doing is what you want to do. Hurry up. Church, is there anybody that Jesus won't save? Church, is there anybody Jesus won't save? You know how come I know that? The Bible tells me so. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hey, you know what, guys? Don't be surprised when you get to heaven and you meet some of those prostitutes and prison inmates that you used to see down at Menard. Don't you be surprised if you see drug dealers up in heaven that you've seen here in Chester or derelicts or liars or lunatics. Just because their sin is different than yours, it doesn't mean that their sin is worse than yours. Sin is sin. The Bible says we intentionally love them. The Bible says we intentionally love everybody. Anyone and everyone who admits their inability to meet God's holy standard and humbly receives God's grace will be in heaven. I want you to think about it. The very sin that disqualifies you from earning a place in heaven actually serves to qualify us for God's grace. I had to have, I had to have sin for God to show me grace. That was easy for me to do. But for Him to show me grace, it took a cross. Church, think of it even though no one should be in heaven even though no one should be in heaven according to that verse where none of us meets God's glorious standards even though no one should be to heaven uh, no one should go to heaven anyone can go there anyone can go there even uh, that includes even the thief who died on the cross next to Jesus thank God because that includes even you and me 
He will save anybody who believes upon Him. Church, is there one sinner that Jesus would turn away? Is there one sinner Jesus would say, Oh, I'm sorry, you've got too much sin. Or is, is there one sinner that, would say, uh, that Jesus would say, Oh no, I don't forgive that sin. Or I don't forgive that iniquity. I don't forgive that, discre- I don't forgive that indiscretion. Is there any sin Jesus won't forgive? Baby, you better hope not. The Apostle Paul summed it up. God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for it because it's a gift of God. Church, if Jesus... Man, this is where the rubber hits the road. Are you ready? Put your feet underneath your pew because I'm going to come down hard. If Jesus wouldn't turn one sinner away, why in the world would we? Oh, they're not like us. Their sin's different than mine. You see, man, when when we get down to the brass tacks on that, when we stop giving sins colors and sizes, we realize there's just one size fits all. And when Jesus dealt with this woman, He didn't dance around the issue. He didn't ignore her sin, but He didn't rub her nose in it. And as an explanation point in this story, I want you to see what she does in verse 28 and 29. I'm going to get through half this sermon. I'm sorry. Uh, 28 and 29. I'm not going to go into the uh, uh, Zacchaeus. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that, uh, marveled that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, why do you speak to her? Why do you sp-? So the woman left, look in verse 28, this is the money shot. So the woman left her water pot and went to the city and said to the men, y'all got to come see this man. You got to see this guy who told all the things I've done. This has got to be the Christ. This has got to be the Savior. This has got to be the Messiah. This has got to be the one that was sent. Church, she became an evangelist. She went out and shared the good news about what this man Jesus had done for her. A man like none other. Even other men in her life had treated her like garbage or trash or like a sexual object. This is the man that looked right at her and said, Honey, I love you and I know where you've been, but I've got a purpose for your life. I'm not going to flush you. I love you. And it changed her life. Why? Because Jesus was two things with his love. Impartial and he was intentional. If I could ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Miss Pam, if you'd come up and start playing. So every head is bowed and every eye closed. Church, it's exponentially more difficult to love people who are different than us. It is so much more hard to love people who disagree with us. People who have different and varying affinities or interests or desires. Difficult people are hard to love. But that doesn't take us off the hook. We still love them like Jesus. Well, Mike, could you be more specific? I certainly can. It means you love them impartially. It doesn't matter where they've been, where they are coming out of, doesn't matter what their color or their gender or anything like Hey, it doesn't even matter how they identify because the Bible says we identify as sinners. Can I tell you what? That transgender, the gay, the, uh, the lesbian, the LBGT community, every single one of them need Jesus. Black, white, yellow, green, purple, every single one of them need Jesus. Rockwood, Redbud, they all need Jesus. Sparta, they need Jesus. person you can't stand at work yep she needs Jesus too 
Do you have difficult people in your life? Do, do you regularly interact with those people that the world would call outcast or deplorable? Do you have the interest in their lives that Jesus wants you to have? Are you interested in their pain? Are you interested in their hurt? Are you interested in the lost? Are you interested in the broken? Jesus was. Truth be told, all of us could identify areas where we need to love more like Jesus. Y'all, so instead of feeling guilty and ashamed today about how maybe we've dropped the ball, let's just, let, let's, let's flip the script. Instead of feeling shame and guilty about it, let's change. Let's say, okay, man, after this service is over, I'm going to look for a way to be impartial and intentional with my love towards others. I'm not going to hate them because their sin's different than mine. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to avoid them because they do things I don't agree with. I'm asking you to step out in faith and step into the love that Jesus wants you to have for other people of being impartial and now I've been rattling off and, and probably what happened is the Holy Spirit began to place faces and lives and souls on your mind saying, oh man, that's, I know who my difficult dude is or I know who my difficult dudette is. I, I, know, <laughs> I, I know who you want me to have uh, to be the object of that intentional and that impartial love, God. Holy Spirit's already told you who you need to work on this week. You may not like him. You may not like her. You may not like the situation, but, but you know that you got to be Jesus. you got to stop being you and be Jesus. If you already know who that difficult person is, maybe they're a family member, maybe there's a co-worker, maybe it's a kid you go to school with. But the Holy Spirit's already told you who you need to try this on this week. If you've got that person in mind, would you simply raise your hand? You can put it right back down. Cool. Anybody else? Cool. About a dozen. A little bit more. Somebody else? See them? Anybody else? Praise the Lord. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And for those who raised your hand, I, I'm going to pray with you just in a moment. But today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're the woman at the well. The good news is He's he saddled up next to you and He's wanting to give you living water today. He wants to forgive you of all of your sin today. He wants to be your Savior and Lord. Today, if you don't know Him and you want to surrender your life to Him, profess Him as Lord. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Maybe you just need to rededicate your commitment to Him. Man, what a great time to do it. Today, if you'd like to give your heart to Jesus, ask Him to forgive you your sin, or you want to recommit your life and your, your commitment to Him, I just invite you to pray with me. Almighty God, I am a sinner. And I come to you, Jesus, to save me from my sin, to forgive me of my sin, and to cleanse me of my sin. Be my Lord and my Savior. Be the driving force in my life. I thank you, Jesus, because you died for me. And I am going to live for you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name. As every head continues to be bowed and every eye closed. If that was the first time you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. If you prayed that prayer as a recommitment, a refocusing, a recalibrating of your walk, welcome, welcome back. Welcome home. Let this be your place. This is your place. You belong here.
that person God placed upon your heart, that difficult person, pray for them. Maybe you need to come to the altar this morning, the front of the church. You can kneel, you can stand, but you need to pray for that difficult person because you see, God can melt those things. He can melt those, those icy relationships. He can soften ossified relationships. Dear God, I pray blessing over this part of the invitation. Father, I pray for those who come forward and pray for those people that are in their lives that are difficult to love. But Lord, we're wanting to love like you. We're wanting to love people like you, intentionally and impartially. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And amen. Carrie, what are you going to say?